0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. Um, and while you're turning there... The, uh, the title of the message that I want to preach this morning is called, When God Doesn't Come Through. When God Doesn't Come Through the Way We Think He Should. And um, before we get into the message, I, there's something about me that you may not know. And that is is that I like to uh, daydream a lot. And in my daydreams, I have come up with a lot of stories that could be great movies. That could literally make me millions if I could just somehow get it onto the screen. And I've got a Justice League story in my head that I, I want to share with you, okay? Justice League, you guys know who that is, right? Yeah. DC, right? I'm not going to ask which side of the, the uh, aisle you sit on on the, that if you're with Marvel. But at any rate, this is, the, this is how the story goes. Imagine, uh, you know, it goes PG-13, that green thing that comes up on the screen, and then it goes into the trailer like this. You, you see a beautiful young little child laying in a hospital bed, hooked up to IVs. And she is unconscious, surrounded by a doctor and her worrying parents. And the doctor says, time is running out. She needs to get the anti-serum, or she's going to die. And the father, of course, he says what do I need to do? Tell me what I need to do. I'll give anything. I'll do anything. Just tell me how to get it so I can get it here. And the doctor says, well, actually, it's already here. And he's like, well, why aren't we administering it to her? She's about to die. He says, I know, but he won't give it to us. And then the the screen pans over to the corner of the room, and there stands Superman. With his arms crossed, and in his right hand, he's holding a vial that's got blue anti-serum in it. And he's just staring blankly at the girl. And you can hear her heartbeat in the background. (laughs) And it's slowing down. The music's intensifying. The face of the parents is just getting, uh, showing anxiety. And the camera zooms in. Y'all with me? It zooms in to the heart monitor. Beep, 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 and then it flatlines. The next shot is Superman. He smiles, and it goes black. I'm in. All right. <laughs> Put me down, guys. That is the teaser of the movie. You know, the question I would have in that movie is, what's wrong with Superman, Right? Because we know Superman's good and he has the power to save this girl and yet he's just standing there with the vial in his hand and then he, not only that, once she dies he smiles. Why doesn't he come through? You know, that's uh, that's something that we deal with in, this, in the real world. When it comes to pain and, and suffering that question can be asked of God. You know, God, if, if you're all-powerful. And God, if you're good, then why do we still suffer? Why do we still have to go through suffering? You could stop it. you got the anti-serum. There's nothing you can't do, but you don't always come through. You don't always save us from our pain and our anxiety. You know, this is an old question. This isn't something new. It's been asked throughout the centuries, not just by God's critics, but also by some of his greatest disciples. And this morning one of the disciples that I want to look at that asks this question is John the Baptist. And he is he's such a great disciple that Jesus himself says in Luke seven twenty-eight, I tell you that among those born of women, none is greater, there's no one greater than John. And if you remember, if you know the account of his life, he was a miracle baby. Um, Just like Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah in in their old age, John was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth in their old age when they were well beyond childbearing. And apparently, it sounds like they died at some point in his life, and John goes out and lives out in the wilderness. He is a a true Tarzan that grew up out in the wilderness. And, and when he began his ministry, nobody told him that he was supposed to wear a suit and tie because he's wearing poor man's clothes. Remember, John? what's he, He's wearing camel's hair, and he's eating poor man's food, grasshoppers or locusts and wild honey. Wild honey. Have you ever had wild honey? Yeah, who said that? Oh yes, Andre. He's from Ukraine. He probably has right. So, um, but wild honey is bitter, and it's got bugs in it. It's not that clean, processed type of pasteurized honey that most of us get from the grocery store. So he's he's this wild guy. He didn't have a formal education, as far as we know, and yet God used him mightily. And he is known to be that fear fear fearless and fiery prophet. He had a laser-focused mission that had been given to him. And that was one thing. Prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah by telling them to turn from sin and to return to God. Not only was he a fiery prophet, he was also a humble prophet. Um, When he is uh, serving Jesus, he actually says, you know, I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie his sandals. And once he reveals who Jesus is, the crowds start going to Jesus. And some of his disciples come to him him and say, look, you got to do something. Your ministry is going down because everybody's leaving you to go follow Jesus. And what what does John say to them? He says, good. He must increase. I must decrease. We sang that this morning. More of you and less of me. Now, he is going to get tested on this. Does he really mean that? More of you and less of me. We sing that this morning. That that, that song that we sang is an amazing song. More of you. What does that mean for Jesus to be more and us less? I love the idea. We're going to get into that this morning, what it means for him to be more and less. But John, less of us, but John he is clearly—I want to make sure that I'm very clear about this. He is clearly devoted to Jesus. It was his joy to see Jesus take center stage, and as you know, many of us know, shortly after Jesus took his uh, entered into his ministry, John got into some hot water with King Herod because King Herod had taken his brother's wife, Herodias, and had married her publicly, and so John stood up and said, "This is wrong." This is not lawful. You should not have her. So what does Herod do? He says that he arrested and bound John, and he put him in prison. Now Herodias, that was Herod's illegal wife, she could not stand John. She had this bitter grudge against him, so, uh, and she wanted to put him to death. And the question I have is, why was she angry with him? Why was she bitter with him? And it's because she couldn't stand The love of God. What do you mean she couldn't stand the love of God? Well, sometimes the thing what we think is love is not love, and what we what is love is not love. God was loving Herod and Herodias by sending John to tell them, hey, you're going down the wrong path. You're going to destruction. You need to repent of your sin and return. And she hated him for this. She hated to hear that she was wrong that she was rebelling. And so she wanted to put him to death. And you know, all of us, we have to weigh, weigh the, uh, the risk of loving people. If we're really going to love people, that there are going to be times that you go in love, and we need to make sure it's in love, but you're going to go in love and say, hey, you're going down the wrong path, and it is not going to go well with us. So Herod... Arrests him, And he's double-minded because on one hand, he wants to please his wife. But on the other, it says that in, in Mark 6.20, says, it says that he feared John because he knew that he was a righteous and holy man. He knew he was a righteous and holy man, but he liked to listen to him anyway. It kind of perplexed him, and it says that he, en- he enjoyed listening to him. Now, I'm just going to make a quick note here. That's a dangerous place to be in. When you know that someone's righteous, you know they're holy, you know they're speaking the truth, and you enjoy listening to it, but then you don't change. That could be us, couldn't it? Week after week, we can hear the Word of God. Oh, mm, that's something, mm, yes, more of you and less of me. But then when it comes to the actual application of it, we leave here and don't do anything about it. And what happens to Herod's heart as it gets harder and harder. And if you study the Gospels, at the end of Herod's life, Jesus stands before him at his trial, but it says he would, Jesus would not speak a word to him, because he had already said things that Herod would not listen to and would not obey, so he had nothing left to say to him. So we've got to guard our hearts against just hearing the words of God and not being doers of the word. So, John is in prison, he's been in there for a while, and, and now we're going to come to our passage in Matthew 11. We'll pick up here. We don't know how long he's been here, but it says verse 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Now hold on just a second. I want to back up here. Did John say, really say what I think he just said? He says, are you the one who is to come? Or should I look for somebody else? That's crazy. I mean, this is John the Baptist, we know that he, he laid his entire life down to point people to the Messiah. And now he's saying, is this him? And, and here's something that's perplexing to me. It says, look at verse two, it says, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, when he heard what was going on outside of the prison, that the blind were getting sight, that the lepers were being cleansed, that the dead were being raised. Awesome, good stuff. It doesn't encourage him to believe more. It doesn't strengthen his faith. It says it causes him to doubt more. Why Why is this? Why? I mean, shouldn't those things increase John's faith? Yeah, I got the right one. He's doing all these miracles. Well, I think the reason that he's struggling here. Is because of unmet expectations. You might want to write that down. Unmet expectations. When we expect something but don't get it. Now, what was John expecting? In Matthew three verses eleven through twelve, he tells the people this. He says, "I baptize you with water for repentance." But he, speaking of Jesus who is coming after me, is mightier, is mightier than me, than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In other words, John said, and this 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 sounds like John, doesn't it? When the Messiah comes, he ain't playing. He's going to clean house. He's going to Bring the evil low, and he's going to exalt the righteous. And he had pointed everyone to him, including his disciples. But right now, now, after all this, where's John at? He's in prison. At the, under the hand of the wicked. The very ones that, Jesus, uh, that he had said, Jesus is going to just rip through here, he's going to tear through here, and us righteous people, we're going to be saved. And not only that, but he, again, he hears what's going on outside the, the prison. So he's in the prison suffering, and everybody else is outside having a good time. Praising God, worshiping him, but he's locked up in a prison. He's thinking, that's, that's not what I expected from Jesus. And... um. I'm sure that he was thinking, I know that Jesus, he, if he can raise the dead, he can overthrow Herod. He can come in here and break down this door and and, and save me. Can you relate to this in your own life? Because I can. Because, especially when I've walked, you know, I've, I've sought to walk with the Lord, and then it seems like evil still prevails, Even maybe even more, because I've walked with the Lord, and I can get uh, tired and and weary, and, and um, I wonder, why, God, why aren't you helping me? Have you forgotten me? And, and, and you just want to quit. You just want to quit following. I think that that's what John was experiencing. He's, he's probably asking, you say you're the good shepherd, right? Then why are you letting one of your sheep go to slaughter? And then Jesus sends back an answer. He says, look what I'm doing. And then verse 6 is very sobering. He says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What does that mean? To be offended, that word means to, uh, to cause someone to experience anger or shock because of what has been said or done. Some of the other translations translate that word as stumble away or fall away. Blessed is the one who, is not, who does not fall away because of me. And so when, let, me, let me paraphrase what Jesus is saying here. When he says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me, what he's saying is blessed is the one who does not turn away from me because I'm not doing what you want me to do, when you want me to do it, and how you want me to do it to do it. And that's what I think John is wrestling with here. He's wrestling with unmet expectations. He's expecting the Messiah to be fiery and to be a conquering king, but that's not what Jesus is doing. He's actually gentle and kind, and he's actually helping his enemies. This is causing uh, a, a brain freeze, I think, in John. And you know, the thing is that we have to be careful. We have to be careful as believers not to allow unmet expectations to direct our faith. John's like, why are you not coming with an, a fiery iron fist and removing the enemies? Why aren't you doing something? At the crux of his question, I think he's asking, do you not care, Jesus? Do you not see where I'm at, Jesus? Jesus. Can you do anything about it? Do you know what to do? Why are you not following my plan? I've got a, a great plan for you to follow. And I think Jesus w- responds, yes, trust me, I care. Yes, I see where you're at. I know what you're going through. And I know you have plans. But you've got to trust that my plans are bigger. My plans are better than your plans. Because not only am I good, I'm wise. That's something that I have to ask myself. Do I think I'm wiser than Jesus? Do I think I'm gooder than Jesus? And the answer to that is oftentimes in pride, I think that. But the thing about Jesus is he sees the picture clearly. He sees from beginning to end. He knows what's best for his people. And going back to my Superman movie, this is a spoiler alert because I'm going to tell you what's going on in this thing. Um, but after, if you watch the movie, after the girl dies, Superman goes over to her bed, takes the vial, and puts three drops under her tongue, and she comes back to life. And the, the doctors and the mom and, and father are just celebrating, and after the celebration they go, what happened? This is where, you know, you explain what's going on. He says, if I had given that potion to her while her heart was still beating, it would have caused all of her organs to shut down. She must die in order for me to give the serum." And that's, if I'd given it beforehand, it would have killed her. So she has to die in order to live. And so the question that I know you're asking is, well, why didn't you just say that in the first place? Why'd you just stand over there in the corner, right? I don't know. I hadn't gotten that far in the movie. But the point is, is that he knew something that the rest of the group didn't know. But in the end, he did what was best for the girl. And that's similar to Jesus. Because he cares about us. We we need to hear that. We need to understand that in our circumstances, some of us in this room are in, in difficult, difficult situations. And in the midst of, of trial, we're asked the question that comes to my mind often is do you care? Do you love me? Are you doing anything? And if you're in in a prison this morning, um, you're in a place where you feel like God has forgotten you or the circumstances just aren't uh, lining up the way you thought that Jesus should act, Um, while you're waiting for release, and I promise you, he will come to your salvation. He promises that. Let let, Let me encourage you in this. Don't waste your trial. Don't waste this trial. And understand that Jesus wants to use this suffering in your life for his glory and for your good. And there's two ways that he he wants to use suffering in our life. Number one, it causes us to draw closer to God. Now, it can cause us to go away from God, but if we will embrace what God has allowed in our lives by faith, it will cause you to go to god Um, it also helps us to see what's truly important in life c.s lewis says that suffering is like the god's megaphone it helps us to hear god better what's more important it helps us to loosen our grip on those things that really man they're not that important and to cling to the god who is secondly Suffering is meant to sanctify us or to make us more like Jesus. Now, we sang that song this morning. If more of you means less of me. Think about what we sang. What? Take everything. Do we really mean that? I have to question, I have to ask myself that. Now, I want to be like Jesus, but the process that becoming like Jesus, we have to go through the path of suffering. And this is often counterintuitive because C.S. Lewis also says that, that what we want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven, but a grandfather in heaven, a senile benevolence who, as they say, like to see young people enjoying themselves. But I've heard it said before that God is not so much concerned about our happiness as he is our holiness. And, and the truth is is that in order to be truly happy, we need to grow in holiness. As we grow in holiness, it will produce true and lasting happiness. And so pain and suffering are in our lives to draw us closer to the Lord and to make us more like Jesus. And that is, what, that, that is what God is doing in John's life in this passage. So what happened to John in the end? Well, if you know the account, Herod was having a birthday party, and so he invites his nobles, his military commanders, and, his, and the leading men in, in uh, Galilee, and his stepdaughter, Herodias' daughter, does this dance for him. We don't know what, what it was, but evidently she was really good at dancing and it pleased him so much that he said in front of all his guests, I tell you what, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. Ask me whatever you want, up to half the kingdom, which means I'll do anything you want, pretty much. Um, and so what she does is she runs to her mom, Herodias, and Herodias says, ah, yes, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so it says that immediately the executioner went down into the dungeon, cut off his head, brought it on a platter, and gave it to Herod. And then in verse 29 of Mark 6, uh, 6, it says, When his disciples heard of it, when they heard that John's head had been cut off, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Now, my question to you is this. Um, Did God save John? Some of us are looking at this John the Baptist thing thinking, that's not too encouraging, right? Right now, where is John? Heaven, right? And I like to think about that being in heaven. And I know what I'm going to explain here falls, falls so short of what it really is. But sitting around a campfire in heaven. What kind of story is John going to tell for eternity? He saved me. I didn't see it at the time, but he was in it. And this morning, you might be in a place where you you are locked behind bars. You're sitting out here this morning, but you're locked behind bars, and you cannot see any time of, of release that's coming up anytime soon. And you're, maybe you're forged with loneliness. You're, the, the iron bars are forged by loneliness or anxiety. Maybe it's the responsibilities of life, something physical. Or, or maybe you're grieving something, a loss of, of something that's, that's important. And you're tired, and you're weary, and you're worn out. And you are asking the same question that John's asking. Jesus, are you really the one that's to come? Or should we look for another? And I want to tell you this morning and declare the truth to you that, yes, Jesus is the one. That, yes, Jesus cares, that he understands, and he is at work, even in your cell. And what's interesting is after they buried John the Baptist, it says that they went and told Jesus about it. And the first thing he did, he said, I got to get away. And he went to a lonely place to mourn the loss of his brother. And I think also to prepare for his death. Because soon after this, Jesus himself would be arrested. And he would be beaten so badly. Scriptures say that he would not even look like a man anymore. His back would be shredded to where you could see muscle and bone and organs. Blood coming out. And they would nail him to a cross and hang him naked in front of all to see. And Jesus himself would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is because of John the Baptist. The answer is because of you and because of me. He was forsaken, but John was not and I am not, and you are not, if your faith is in the Son of God. And the reason we're not forsaken is because he was forsaken on our behalf to purchase the antiserum. And here's the kicker. you got to die to live. you got to die to what you think and to believe what Jesus has said. And when we do, we come to life. Does he care? Yes. Is he good? Yes. And so he's calling us to surrender, to give up, to learn to, to rest and to trust in him. And this morning, again, if you are in that prison, I want to give you a, a scripture that, that has just ministered to my heart over and over. It never gets old when I'm in the middle of that, uh, of that suffering it says it's James 1:12. It says, "Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, who, perseve- who keeps going. for once he or she has been approved, or once they have passed the test, they will receive the cr- look, look the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. and God cannot lie. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Be encouraged that God is with you and persevere. Now, there are some of us here this morning that really can't relate to what I'm preaching because you're not in the prison. You're like John's disciples. You're outside the prison. But let me ask you this. Do you have eyes to see those who are in prison? Or are we just going to come together and just enjoy one another and not realizing that John is sitting right next to you? Imagine, imagine what it would be like if all of us would take this word to heart. That if you're, if you're a John, you'll keep holding on to the truth. If you're one of his disciples, you're looking for John this morning. What would happen if we will minister? And and listen, it's already happening. But what if we're all doing that? What's it going to require? What's it going to cost? It's going to cost us not just getting here together on Sunday mornings, but also after we leave here throughout the week. It means we're going to have to get into each other's lives and also invite others in. But what would happen? What would we see as that happens? We will see lives changed. We will see God at work and glorified in a way that brings us praise to God and Him alone. Amen. Amen.